Hey, everybody. Mm -hmm. Welcome back to another Monday. You know what that means? It's time for another episode of RFRx, your prescription for mm -hmm. coping. We are glad you're here. I'll be your host this evening. I'm Kara, and I have with me recurring co-host, RFR support group leader, ambassador, and faithful, fearless psychic slash psychic, uh, Helen. Yes. <laughs> How are you doing, Helen? Good. How are you, my friend? I am well. I'm glad to be here on mm. this fine Monday, which is also a holiday. Today we are observing Juneteenth. And yes. I actually got to spend the weekend in Galveston, which is the Ooh. birthplace of that holiday, or at least sort of the version that that we have enshrined currently. And for those of you that are not from the States, that is the day that we celebrate the emancipation of slaves at the end of, well, shortly after the Civil War that we had in the US. And people were not all immediately notified that they had been emancipated. So Juneteenth celebrates the day that uh, that notification was made to one of the last remaining uh, communities, which was in Galveston, Texas. So that is what we are celebrating now. So I was really privileged to get to go down there That's really cool. and see that. Yeah. So what about you, Helen? What did you do this weekend? Um, we celebrated Father's Day and we celebrated my son joined the army. So That's right. Yeah, he left today for boot camp. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. good job. You have you have leveled up. You have completed the parenting level. I, I did. I did. I um I, I get pins now, I think. Yeah, I think you do. I do. I, I get special do. pins. I think yes. I do. I think that's the reward well you get. <laughs> well done. Well done. And and well done to all of our fathers out there too. Happy yes. Father's Day to you all as well. Now, without any further ado, Helen, would you like to introduce our guest for this evening? Yes, I would. Thank you, Cara. I am going to introduce our special guest tonight, uh, Matt Dillahunty. Matt was a fundamental evangelical Christian for 25 years and planned on becoming a minister until his studies forced him to abandon his supernatural beliefs. Since leaving his faith, he has traveled the world to lecture and debate on skepticism, humanism, and atheism to audiences audiences at conventions and conventions and churches. Wow, words are hard. He spent the last past 20 years hosting live calling programs to teach critical thinking skills and challenge religions and supernatural claims and privilege. So welcome, Matt. Thank you for being here tonight. <laughs> And you can go ahead and take yourself off mute as soon as you are ready. Matt, welcome. Thank you. Oh, for joining see, us. now I thought somebody else had to take me off mute because no. it'd be presumptive of me to do it. All right. <laughs> so thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. And now you can hear me. Yes. And we are glad to hear you. And we're glad you're here. Yeah, we're, we're pretty casual here. You can unmute yourself because you are a co-host of the meeting. The general audience cannot unmute themselves. And I realize I did say that earlier in the pre-meeting and I can see how that would have been confusing, but you're special. So you can mute and unmute at will. Well, it's <laughs> nice to know I'm special somewhere. Yes, you are always special here. We, we can't allow you to hang up on us, but well, I guess you could if you just left the meeting, but hopefully it won't, it won't come so to that. That sounds almost like a dare. No, it's not. Please don't. <laughs> we listen. We need this content, Matt. <laughs> I'm here. Yes. No, and we are glad to have you. I just heard from a little bird. Actually, it was Dr. Ray uh, that you might have recently done a magic show at uh, an engagement that you had recently. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And what does magic have to do with critical thinking? 
Hey, yeah. Um, so I was at the Psycho Student Alliance National Convention this past weekend, along with Daryl and a bunch of other people. And a few years ago, before the Backstreet Boys reunion tour uh, pandemic, I uh, I put together a magic show that the goal was to teach skepticism and make it fun. Uh, and so it wasn't too much lecture. It was like probably 50-50 lecture and, and magic show, because I've been doing magic since I was five i kind of i don't know i don't know what i did for the first four years but it wasn't as much fun and i started you know there's a lot of skeptics in the magicians movement the amazing randy and running the james randy educational foundation and the ability to test uh various woo claims and things like that um got me involved and participating in the skeptics movement and going to the amazing meeting and things like that and it just seemed Every time I really wanted to illustrate some sort of point, um, my brain would go, well, you, you know a magic trick that would fool somebody and the reasons that they're giving for why they believed this faith healer or whoever else it is they decided to believe. It's the same reasons people gave, you know, for thinking that I had demons running through me. I, when, I was a, when I was in the Navy, I would do card tricks and things, just simple card tricks. And I was still a fundamentalist Christian then. And... I would do tricks and people would freak out and they'd be like, oh, you know, what's it like to have all that magical power running through you? And it's just demonic. And, and I'm like, no, it's fucking practice. It's a ridiculous amount of me sitting down with a deck of cards being incredibly uh, having, you know, no friends or whatever and, and sitting there until I could do something really cool. And so what I would end up doing is I would, I didn't want them to think that I, you know, there was anything demonic about me. I'm here. I'm a Christian kid. And so I would do the trick again and show them how it was done. And they would say things like, well, that's not what you did last time. And I'm like, if, if I can fool you just by, you know, having a clever brain and fingers, why on earth do you think that I was using demons before? It didn't, <laughs> it didn't make much sense. And so I put together the Magic Skepticism show. I did a 10-city tour of Canada and I think, I think another 10 cities in the U.S., and and now I pull it out whenever somebody asks me to. So I did it for the ACA a couple of years ago and uh, SSA. Uh, they wanted to get me up there to do a workshop on debating. And I was like, sure, absolutely. And then somebody said, hey, would you also be willing to do the magic show? I, yeah, yeah, I, I will. Uh, although this time it was wild because it was in the cathedral and it's old and the lighting was terrible and the acoustics were terrible. And I would, you know, we 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 started, I, I, I think I was done setting up and changing clothes like five minutes before they started letting everybody in. Um, it was, it was not, I will say the best performance ever, but boy, do we have fun with it. And the, the following day um, I did my, I, I won't say my, as if it's something I've done many times, but I did a workshop uh, for a number of students there with the SSA on debating. And I, it, whether it's because I'm lazy or because it's the the smartest thing to do, rather than coming in with a prepared workshop, I have a debate tomorrow night, and um, Cliff Connectly wants to debate me on is Christianity true. Now, I could ignore the fact that I've already got twenty some odd years of doing this as my practice for that debate, and sit down and do some other work. But I thought it'd be much more fun to get the students that were there involved in 
let's look at the topic. What do we think about the topic? What kind of questions do you think are going to come up? What, what sort of things would you want to address during this? How would you challenge a claim that Christianity is true? How would you expect that Cliff is going to be presenting uh, the claim that Christianity is true? Is it, is it going to be relying on the Bible? Is it going to be relying on miracles? Is it going to be relying on the popularity ideas? And so we had a great time with the workshop, and I'm really excited to see the SSA um, yeah, kind of becoming more active and, and uh, getting more student groups participating. I love that. I, I think that is such a good idea. And I think that's it's one of the great things that I like about when you engage with people is you seem to be really good at getting people involved in thinking about why they're thinking what they're thinking. <laughs> I don't know if it's the way you phrase questions or just kind of like what you were just describing, you know, instead of just me talking at you, let me get engaged with you. And I'm wondering, um, given that uh, you you are uh, fairly well known for letting people know in no uncertain terms, if you are not particularly impressed with their reasoning on a particular issue or something like that, you know, given how much work this is, helping people work through uh, beliefs that may not be based in evidence that you may hear over and over again, what keeps you coming back and having these conversations and helping people work through how they're thinking about beliefs. Yeah, it's, I was never Catholic. And so the the concept of penance didn't really exist for me until I became an atheist. And I used to joke that it was penance that I spent so many years, you know, trying to lead people to the Lord that now I'm, you know, leading a, a, a bevy of them back out of there. Uh, my mom absolutely thinks that I'm working for Satan and uh, leading people to hell. And I nothing I can do about that because she might also think the world is flat and uh, a bunch no. of other stuff so it's mm. but oh, <laughs> the, the honest answer is um not not only do i love this stuff and it's important i genuinely don't know how to not do it i i there's I, until i can't do it for whatever reason um i i don't know how to not do it i i take breaks because first of all like twitter is a terrible place to have any sort of discussion or argument um, but and yet I find myself doing it over and over again. And, and you could be like, Matt, you you know, why on earth are you sitting there arguing with people on Twitter? And I'm just, I'm always optimistic that somebody might see it and, and benefit from it. Uh, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm also pretty good about finding me time. I mean, things have been busy and hectic right now. We, mm -hmm. we were lucky. Uh, Arden and I have um, an exotic, pet business and so we got two different clutches of eggs today uh after we were done cleaning up uh or, or monday's always clean up the rat tubs day and so i got back from ssa con she got me a new snake for our anniversary which was yesterday uh i got to spend like five minutes with the snake and five minutes with arden then went to sleep then we got up and worked all day and we got surprised by two clutches of eggs uh today and it's i i'm just i'm an obsessive learner and I'm excited about all this stuff. And when it comes, somebody's wrong on the internet and I just can't put up with that. There's your answer. I love it. I love it. And the internet is better for it. I I am glad that you're out there doing that work. I couldn't. I Yeah, you're better you than me, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for doing that work. 
and so also like, a cesspool i don't want to go on twitter <laughs> i know but i think you're right i think it's one of those things that we say all the time with debate like you're probably not going to convince the person that you're debating with i mean maybe you will it could happen but it's the other people that are hearing you or reading what you're writing that may see something in it that benefits them and so there's there's value in that have you had people tell you that you know, hey, I heard you do this debate, or I saw you on Twitter arguing with someone, and this totally changed my mind on something? Sure. Um, I, if I, I might not be understanding the question. Yeah, but I guess what I'm asking is, has that been confirmed for you that that actually you have uh, been able to by having these, you know, potentially frustrating arguments on Twitter that seem like they're going in circles, you're going nowhere, but other people that are not the person you're engaging with later come across it and are convinced by your arguments or realize, oh, my goodness, I sound like that guy he's arguing with. Wow, uh, <laughs> that is that's a bad basis for my my belief. Yeah, thousands upon thousands. It happens all the time. In fact, I've been doing this 20 years, and um, I was sitting at the airport in St. Louis getting ready to, to come back home, and somebody walked up and basically said that exact thing. And they didn't, they weren't even there for the SSA con. They just happened to be in the airport and said, Hey, I saw this thing you did with, you know, Sam Harris or Jordan Peterson or whatever else. And uh, that was really helpful. So thanks. And so, yeah. Awesome. That is That's excellent. Really cool. Yeah, I love that. That's that's got to feel good uh, after all of the frustrating <laughs> arguments to know, okay, that actually helped somebody out. So yeah, good work. Also, do you have any snakes? Can we see the snakes? I mean, are they available for show and tell? I have about 60 snakes. Um, I mean, are they, are they there with you? Can we see them? <laughs> yeah, what I Arne, can do. Arn showed us his snake, by the way, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Arn has like 30 or something like that. Um, let me, uh, I will send Arden a message. And if she's not busy playing Zelda, uh, she can bring some snakes in. Okay. I love it. Okay. We'll look forward to it. All right. Uh, that we'll, sounds we'll fair. We can have Q and A with the snakes in, in a little bit, maybe. Okay. I'll, I'll probably see if we can start with Daisy. Daisy's in quarantine and Daisy's the one that I got for my anniversary yes, yesterday. Um, <gasps> she's a, I love it. an albino Darwin carpet python. Uh, she I said, uh, I need snakes for the show. We can start with Daisy. And she said, on it. So I would imagine there will be a Daisy in here in a moment. She's a baby. And uh, Arden bought her as a surprise. And when she got the snake home, uh, it ended up, sorry if this is weird or disturbing for anybody, ended up with a prolapsed rectum. And mm -hmm. that can happen on occasion. I mean, snakes are just a big tube. And if they eat something that's problematic, it can uh cause problems and so she went to uh, a reptile expert that we know because while we've been doing this for a while she hadn't had to deal with that and managed to fix it and with do it without irritating the snake whether you know, didn't get bit and and so yeah my my new tiny tiny baby girl uh is doing great we're gonna watch her for the next week to make sure that she heals up good but yeah oh i love oh, that <gasps> yay, yay let's see her so that is daisy my albino oh, darwin carpet python so pretty oh i love it oh. now how big will she get typically as an adult about six foot when she's fully grown we might need another bigger one to show them Ooh. oh paul 
we'll, we'll go with so, so i'm bringing in some australian python so the, the next one will be uh a woma uh, which is one of my favorites but yeah she'll get to be about six foot wow that's incredible okay i love it i i am super pumped pets are always welcome here and i love that you have snakes now okay we have 60 snakes three bearded dragons a Euromastix, five crested geckos a cat dubia roaches red runner roaches hundreds of rats and mice wait you have roaches yeah the bearded dragons need to eat Mm. Oh, okay. That's fair. That's fair. You have like a whole ecosystem basically going on yeah, in your house. We're we're moving out of here and and moving to a farm. Outstanding. I love that. Okay, that is so cool. Yeah, I am great. really pumped to see any of the other snakes that decide to come join us. So yeah, and thank you, Matt and Arden, of, for sharing. Instead of being outstanding in a field or in a particular field, I'll just be outstanding in my own field. <laughs> Just outstanding in a field, right? <laughs> Looking around, going, "Hey, are, are there any other animals here that I don't have yet?" <laughs> Story of my life. I love that. <laughs> oh, so here's this another is, one. This is Paul. Paul is a woma python, which is an Australian uh, python. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you can kind of see his head's a little yellow. He has a girlfriend in the other room. Uh, who we're not going to bring in because she will bite me uh, repeatedly. But Paul's really chill. And I wanted, I kept, we have a lot of ball pythons and mm -hmm. I, I love ball pythons. We got eggs from one of them today, mm -hmm. but uh, I wanted a Woma and several other Australian pythons for years. Mm -hmm. And Australia, you, you can't export anything or import anything from there now. So these are all captive bred from outside of Australia. And so for 30 years, I wanted one of these and we ended up with, two in a week. Uh, so maybe we'll be breeding some, but Paul is just, I mean, Johnny, his girlfriend will just chew on you if she gets the <laughs> opportunity. And Paul has never even made a move to flinch. I mean, I can boop Aww. him on the snoot. I'm sorry, but yeah, he's just chill. My buddy. Anyway. I love that so I much. Amazing. And you know what? I totally forgot to give a trigger warning because we began this episode by asking if anyone had a fear of snakes. And before reviewing those results, I asked you to show us snakes. Uh, would you be interested in seeing how many people we just terrified out of their minds by reviewing the poll results? Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope nobody was terrified just seeing one on the screen. But if you were, uh, sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. I mean, I was just thinking I have a terrible phobia of spiders and I have been uh, gotten by a few PowerPoint presentations where I was not expecting there to be a picture of a spider and then there it was and I may have fallen out of my chair. I, you know, not confirming or denying whether that happened. So sorry about that. Anybody who answered yes, if you're afraid of snakes, let's see what they said. I'll uh, share the results. Uh, so the first question that we asked was not about snakes. It was, have you changed your mind on any core beliefs that you have held in your life? And actually 77% of respondents said yes, several. 19% said they've changed their mind on one or two. 5% said no. Now, when it comes to snakes, we asked, are you afraid of snakes? And yeah, sorry, 12% of people have a serious snake phobia. Oops, 42% uh, of people are a little afraid of snakes, but 47% said, nope, not afraid of snakes. So uh, hopefully that was uh, fun for the people who don't have a phobia. And for those of you who do, maybe that helped a little bit with uh, some exposure. 
not sure. Now, Matt, I've got a follow-up question about the snakes. Was sure. to what extent was your interest in having pet snakes to do with uh, this kind of idea within some religious communities that snakes are associated with Satan or evil powers or something like that? Was that a little bit of no, it? No, I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Okay. All right. So I, t- <laughs> I, I, I can't even explain it. I mean, it's, uh, I always liked snakes. I was not allowed to have them growing up, not because they were demonic or the, or the source of the sinful fall in the garden of Eden, but because uh, my mom just wasn't going to have it. And I, I just always liked them. I, I liked a variety of reptiles, but I mean, snakes were my favorite. We have other reptiles too, I mentioned, but it's, I don't know. Maybe it is kind of the, you know, how counterculture you, you, oh, I don't need a dog or a cat. I've got a, you know, a snake, but it's just, I just find them intriguing. The notion that there's uh, basically a super fancy legless lizard um, that can eat a variety of stuff. There's so much to learn. We're, we're breeding them. I, I'm bringing some others later to kind of show what we're breeding, but they can, they, snakes are incredibly efficient. Um, I have a, I have a male in there that uh, hasn't eaten since November and has not really lost weight. They can, they can go on a hunger strike for months over a year. I've seen some of them go 18 months. Um, and when the females uh, start building follicles, they will eat quite a bit while they're building up. And then, uh, once the follicles start to turn into eggs, then they stop eating because there's no room in them for anything other than eggs. And they will then start eating again after breeding season's over. And the male snakes will often go off food at the same time, whether it's, you know, kind of like a sympathetic pregnancy sort of thing or, or what, we don't know. But um, they're super efficient. They barely have to drink anything. They don't have to eat much to just to maintain their weight. Um, they're they're just amazing and they're they're all different like the pythons i've got lay eggs but boas give live birth and garter snakes give live birth and i I just i'm an obsessive learner and so so is arden and we joke about how we share a brain because every time we find something we're both interested in we just like obsess over it and it like a year ago we didn't have we had one snake um I, I, I started breeding in the early 90s and stopped because of my roommates. And uh, a year ago, we had one snake, and now I've got 60, and I have an incubator in my garage and 12, 18, 20, 22 eggs already incubating and three more clutches coming. I don't know. Enough about that. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, sorry. I leave it to me to go off on a tangent about animals. That's it's what I do. It's what I study. It's my research interest. Sorry. Um, but, okay. Speaking of constantly learning, back on track here. So I love that you mentioned in your bio that you were basically a fundamentalist Christian for a while. You were planning on possibly becoming a minister, and obviously that is not what happened? But I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit about your journey of exploring your beliefs and how you came to have such a reversal on those going from planning to become a minister to basically being a, a professional debunker of supernatural claims? Uh, how did you achieve this? <laughs> what was that process like for you? Yeah, it's um, I people in my church and my parents 
my apologies, my medication's making me uh, difficult for me to speak for a second. There we go. Um, people in my church and my parents both all thought that I was going to be a minister. I was terrified of becoming a minister. So when I graduated high school, I left and joined the Navy. I had a girlfriend. I wanted to get married. I did not want to be a preacher. Um, and I sincerely believed, but I probably lacked confidence and understanding, which is really weird for me to say, because I was, I walked down the aisle at a revival at the age of five, um, accepted Jesus into my heart, and I was active in the church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night visitation, Tuesday night was something else, Wednesday night services, Thursday night was youth group. Um, and then on the weekends, there'd be mission trips and other stuff. And then I went to church camp, Camp Windermere and Lake of the Ozarks, uh, summer after summer. Uh, and it was, it was, and, and despite all that, I wasn't the, I wasn't super Christian. I wasn't the Bible banger. I didn't Oh, there was nothing holier than that. It's just, that's what I did. That's where my friends were. That's where my family were. I was at church more than my parents by a lot. Like they'd go on Sunday morning and I was there all week. And, um, but we did all, you know, it's, I drank when I wasn't supposed to and felt incredibly guilty about it. And the church had this kind of guilt cycle thing anyway, where you were never, anything that was wrong with your walk with Christ was because you were a fallen sinner. Uh, if you had, you know, hey, we know you're a teenager, you're going to lust, but God's, you know, not happy with that. So even though you were saved, there was this constant, I'm going to make you feel guilty, and then you're going to rededicate your life to Christ, and then you're going to feel guilty again, and then you're going to read. And it was this loop, and it, 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 it's self-reinforcing, and it keeps you involved in it. And that's where all my friends were. And despite all of that, uh, and despite, you know, standing up in front of the church many times when youth group would take over the church, I'd stand up and talk and everything else. I was terrified of public speaking. I was uh, just not at all confident, even though I could talk with pastors and my parents and they'd be like, oh, he, he has such wonderful insight into what the Bible says and such a great mm -hmm. spiritual understanding and all this. And they, they were all convinced that I was going to be a preacher. And I ran. And so I ended up in the Navy for eight and a half years. And when I found my way out, I moved from uh, Norfolk, Virginia to Austin, Texas. And I went to work for Dell Computer. Um, I would, I'm completely self-taught on everything. So I was also self-taught on um, both hardware test and software test and, and software development. And I was in that business for a long time until um, just after or just before 9-11, I lost my job because I did it too well. I, I got all my work done for the next six months and they called me in and said, hey, we don't have anything for you to do, so we're gonna have to let you go. And I, I was stunned. I worked so hard. I worked alongside people who'd been doing this for 20 years uh, who were slower and worse at it. And I'm like, why don't you give me his work? I, I just proved to you I can do six months worth of work in one month. Why, why on earth wouldn't you? You're paying me less. Let me do his job. I'll get it done before he can do it and I'll start today. And no, 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 they've got seniority and blah, blah. And it was, I was pissed because, you know, I'd been taught if you have a good work ethic and you're, you know, you do the right thing and you're dedicated to it, you, you, you will get ahead. And instead, I ended up unemployed for almost 18 months. 
And I thought God was punishing me. I thought, I thought God was saying, hey, I told you to be a preacher. And you decided that you'd rather go make money in the tech industry and go hang out at a strip club and hang out with your friends and smoke cigarettes and do all this other stuff uh, and drink and all the things that I told you not to do. So I'm going to take it all away. And so I said, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'm, I'll do it. And I spent the next year and a half pretty much in really serious prayer and study. My roommate at the time was an atheist and I wanted to, I didn't want to get into ministry and then, you know, ultimately die and have God say, Hey, here's your roommate. Who's an atheist. Why weren't you witnessing to him? You know, why is this guy who you love like a brother? Uh, why is he rotting in hell? Because you were afraid to talk to him. So I set out to figure out <clears throat> how best to convince an atheist and um, to make a way too long short story, just slightly less long. It backfired spectacularly. And on the drive to work one day, I looked at him and I said, you know, I think I think I might be kind of agnostic. And he's like, ah, cool. And we just kept going to work. It was, it was, it was a nothing. And then um, people like Penn and Teller, who I'd admired for years, um, they kind of get, made it okay for me to use the atheist label. They were out and brash, but mm -hmm. I just, we're, we're atheists, we're atheists. And, and I was like, I, I, I'm an atheist too, even before I really had a, a good enough understanding of what I was doing. So when you were going through that process, like, did you go through a lot of deconstruction and um, like kind of hand-wringing over it? Or was it just like a, like a let go, you know, like, well, this is all BS, you know, I'm going to let it all go. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little bit of both. Um, I know, I know some people who really struggle with it and their, their deconversion process is, um, is, is very difficult. And mine the more I read and the more I studied, the more I tried to find ways to convince an atheist, the more obvious it became that just wasn't going to happen. And when I learned and my, my brain, I'd been a skeptic for ages. I just hadn't applied skepticism to my religious beliefs. Uh, and when I did it, it all fell apart fairly quickly. And apart from anxiety about, what do you tell your parents? Um, I didn't have really a lot of negative impact. Um, for me, it was mostly positive and mostly liberating. Um, and I, then I did some things that I don't think too many people really get the opportunity to do or don't take the opportunity to do, which is I had to do a, an inventory of everything that I believed. It was, if I, I'm opposed to murder, why? Well, because the Bible said, you know, you're not supposed to murder. Okay, if you're not a Christian, now you need a new reason to be opposed to, to murder. And you need a new reason for this. And what do you think about abortion? And what do you think about, you know, gay rights? What do you think about same-sex marriage? What do you think about anything and everything? And mm -hmm. so it was, I, I'm, I don't know, obsessed, uh, anal, whatever word we need to put on it. I went through virtually everything I believed to figure out, should I maintain this position or should I give it up? And I can only maintain it if I have good reasons for it. Is there free will or do I have to give that up? And that also taught me a lot about saying, there's a difference between believing something's true, not believing something's true, 
and believing something's false. Those are, those are three different things. And a lot of it has to do with many of the propositions in religion aren't falsifiable. And I see many atheists and I end up, I wind up arguing with atheists more than theists these days anyway, but I see many of them who are like, oh, you know, all gods are made up. Oh, really? How'd you prove that? How, how do you demonstrate that none of them are real? I, I, I agree with you that I don't believe any of them are real, but when you could take the extra steps, say, nope, they're all fiction. Okay. How'd you determine that? I'm not saying you can't, but if you're claiming that you falsified the unfalsifiable, you're no less no less irrational than the people you're objecting to who who claim to have proven that which can't be proven or effed the ineffable. Um. <laughs> I love it. So I'm actually really glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that because that that mirrors uh, in some ways my experience too i also grew up kind of fundamentalist christian and then realized at some point oh wow i have been believing a lot of things that are probably either not true or that i can't demonstrate are true and i've told the story on here before i got all the way to being a graduate teaching assistant in a forensic anthropology class before i realized that men and women don't actually have a different number of ribs there it's not the case that you know because of the genesis story that men have one less rib than women typically like i was walking around with beliefs like that well into adulthood after no longer believing in you know the religious beliefs that i grew up with but it occurred to me that I was walking around with a lot of other beliefs and assumptions that I hadn't taken the time to examine since abandoning, you know, the God belief. And I think there are probably a lot of people that deal with that. And it can be a little bit overwhelming. I'm wondering if you have any advice for people that are just starting to deconstruct, starting to realize, hey, I don't believe all this anymore. What's a good way to kind of get started unpacking all of these beliefs like what is there a good way to begin going through them uh what do we do <laughs> yeah uh probably not the best person to, to address this but i can tell you what i think it's going to be different for absolutely everybody cut yourself some slack you don't owe anybody ever whether they are a blood relative whether they you are their dependent whatever you don't owe anybody an explanation for who you are what you think or what you believe and if you're not comfortable and not ready engaging on the subject first of all stay away from the a word uh, but also it can just be you can be honest without and cause fewer problems for example it would have been very easy for me to go to my mom and say you know, mom, I, I think I want you to pray for me. I'm, I'm really struggling. I, I'm, I'm having doubts about whether or not a God exists, or I'm not, I'm not convinced that I still believe the same things that I used to believe. Um, you can do that. But the thing that I generally recommend about the, the more of the coming out process than, than the deconstruction process is just gradually allow yourself to be more and more who you are. And eventually people are going to start asking questions. And a good chunk of them are probably going to ask them in a, in a much more diplomatic way. I doubt some people might get up in your face and like, are you an atheist now? I doubt it. <laughs> Most of them are going to be, you haven't been to church lately or, you know, uh, how are you feeling about this? Or how's your walk with God or all these other things. And you can honestly express your legitimate doubts and concerns while engendering some 
some empathy, I would hope, from a good number of them, and not making it confrontational. And when it comes to coming out, I mean, for the longest time, I've always recommended that people stop doing the, okay, let me get everybody together and I'm going to sit you all down and I have something very important to tell you um, because all that's true. I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, but the thing to remember is that you're the one in the relationship who's changing. And that means you're going to have to cut them some slack for a while, but you don't get to let anybody walk. You don't have to let anybody walk all over you. And so the most important things apart from, possibly reaching out to the secular therapy project or recovering from religion is to find people in your area that you want to interact with who have been through something similar or are going through something similar, because there's, there's virtually no way you are actually alone in this and uh, recognizing that is going to make things a lot easier. And when I come on, you know, I've, I've been doing this for, 20 years, I've told my deconversion story thousands of times, right? and multiple thousands, but at least a thousand times. And every time somebody's like, wow, and I saw it in chat just a little, little while ago. Wow, that sounds a lot like mine. Yes, it does. And it's if you think about it, we make those connections all the time. It's like, oh, wow, that, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. And we seem surprised about it. But we look at, look at all the world religions, they're all similar in some respect, because we are similar creatures trying to answer similar questions. We're going through similar circumstances, not all identical. I, I'm, I have a huge advantages that other people haven't had. Um, and, you know, I have to recognize that, but the notion that you have to go through this alone is, is an absolute lie. And it's not just a lie. It is one of the things that religions bank on. Not only do they give you this, or, or they convince you that they, you have a fictional illness that only they can cure, and then they offer you their homeopathic remedy, but they make you think that if you're not accepting this, if you're starting to question, if you're starting to doubt, if you're not part of this, you're the weird one, and nobody will want you. And there's nobody out there for you. Here's where your community is. And it doesn't matter if you are in an absolutely vile church like Westboro Baptist, or if you're in the hippy-dippy gay-friendly church in San Francisco, this stuff still happens. It's just not always as obviously insidious. Any organization, any group, any family member that's trying to make you feel like you're somehow inferior merely for having doubts and questions and not accepting claims without good enough evidence, that's a demonstration of their fear and their concern that they might also secretly agree with you. I think also too, you brought up a point about how these you know groups will try to keep people in. And a good way they do that is painting atheists as like evil people. You know, we don't have any morals. You know, we're going to, we worship the devil. I don't know how that works, but fine. Um, and all these different sort of ideas to keep people in. And I think that's why people stay a lot of time because they're afraid that they're not going to find friends, that they're going to be alone and they're going to yeah. lose that community. And they'll sit in the pew not believing, but they're like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And you know, I've been I've been working with this movement for almost 20 years. And Something new comes up from time to time. In the early 
in the early days or my my early days, not the early days, my early days with the movement, it was why is it always just a bunch of whole old white guys with beards sitting around congratulating themselves on getting the correct answer to the easiest question ever uh, and and having a little bit of knowledge of philosophy? Where are the women? Where are the people of color? Why aren't we reaching these other communities? And then a handful of the old white guys would be, well, that's that's mission creep. You know, they can they can come. They're welcome. We're not stopping them from coming. Nobody's you know, no. You are stopping them from coming because you're not doing the sort of things that make people who aren't currently a part of your organization welcome. And then it moves on from there to, well, hang on. Um, religion is one of the primary motivators for people having objections to LGBTQ community. Uh, what are we going to do to make sure that they're welcome? What are we going to make sure? Uh, that they feel that they're a part of this community. Oh, no, 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 that's mission drift. We should only be about atheism. This is a this is an atheist movement. We're about atheism. We don't need to. I was told when I took over the. Now, granted, I've been called a transphobe this week, which surprised Arden, but it could be true. And yet, when we're when we're engaging on these issues, when I first started as as president of the atheist community of Austin, there was a board member who anytime we mentioned anything about the queer community, if we said, hey, we want to have a table at Pride. Oh, no, 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 no. This organization is becoming way too gay for me. And I was like, good, get the fuck out. It, this, is, this is where it has, because the entire purpose of what we're trying to do in, in what I was trying to do in that organization, now what I'm trying to do with the line, um, and one of the reasons why I've loved working with Recovering for Religion all these years is we have enough academic, pedantic, bearded, douchebag lecturers. We just do. And, and I don't mean that as, as a slap on them, um, because they've done great work. And it's essential. But Margaret Downey told me years ago, at one of these events, that what she'd love to see at conventions and what she thinks we need to see more of are people telling their stories, because that's how you build those connections. We need all of it. We need somebody to get up and give a lecture on biblical uh, contradictions and criticism. We need Daryl to give up a, lec a lecture on sex and God. Um, we need to people to stand up and tell their deconversion stories, um, because while they're all going to be different, that's how we connect. And that's the sort of thing that needs to happen in, in expanding these communities. Ooh, I am so glad that you brought that up. Thank you for saying that. Like, amen. We don't say amen here. Like, okay, ramen. You should. <laughs> you should, because amen is not a religious term and doesn't have anything to do with any doctrine or anything else. It is just an affirmation and assent. I say amen all the time because it gets a chuckle at atheist mm -hmm. events, and then people learn something new. Hey, okay. I did I not know that. New. Well, there you go. That's you what go. we're here for. Amen. Um, do you say bless you after people sneeze? Fuck no. Okay, cool. I, I try to go with something like hail Satan, but you know, just checking. <laughs> I, my, my favorite, um, I realize that I can use whatever language, but I, I probably won't drop a million F-bombs today. But Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller famously said that he taught his kids to say that's funny whenever someone would sneeze, because it is. <laughs> uh, it, it's a really peculiar thing. And so, yeah, I don't do the, I don't do the bless you thing. But it doesn't bother me. Like I sneezed in the car this weekend with uh, three family members, and I don't know how religious any of them were. And they all intuitively or instinctively, reflectively, reflexively, just said "bless you." 
And then they kind of paused and waited to see, see what I was going to say. And I just you know, let it go. You didn't I hang mean, up I'm, on them or anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm an I, atheist and I still say bless you because it's just ingrained in my brain, yep, you know, yeah. and but I, I don't I'm like, I'm being polite. Yeah. So. And not to name drop left and right. But when I when the first time I met Neil deGrasse Tyson, we were talking about why he was not using the atheist label. And I, I apologized to him because I had called him a douche on, on, on the atheist experience. And I explained why. Um, and he was like, well, if everybody used the term the way you used it, I would use it too. And I was like, okay, well, if they start misusing astrophysicist, are you going to drop that term? Um, and he was like, well, that's a good point. You can tell your fans that it was okay to call me a douche, but <laughs> that's awesome. The, that's great. <laughs> he, he was irritated because he had said Godspeed to some astronauts, which is just a matter of tradition. It's it, it's not even in the ballpark of putting in God we trust on the money, um, which, by the way, there's so much wrong in the world. I have zero spoons to deal with, you know, in God we trust on the money. We lost Roe. We lost Supreme Court. We lost, you know, I'm, I, I'm spending every day wondering when my relationship is going to become illegal because we live in Texas um, with one of the worst uh, trans haters on the planet. Texas and Florida are like dueling. Uh, to see who can destroy the trans community quicker. Yep, it's the worst mm -hmm. dick whacking yep. contest ever because yep. I'm in Florida. Yep. And, and not just that, it's <laughs> not just that that needs to be the focus. Once again, Greg Abbott just shipped a bunch of migrant workers to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. They're taking immigrants who are desperately trying to become part of this uh, and, and using them as pawns and puppets and political fodder, tossing it around. The... I do not understand the world that I lived in. And I was just saying yesterday, if I had a time machine and went back to, let's say, 2010, 2011, and walked into an atheist conference and said, hi, I'm future Matt. And let me tell you what the world's going to look like in 2023. Every single person there would have said, get a load of this guy. Let's get him some help. He needs to be locked up. There's no way any of that's going to happen. There's no way Roe's going to get overturned. There's no way we're going to lose a Supreme Court. For, there's no way Donald Trump's going to be president. There, you know, there's no way this, this, you know, the millions of things. I had been so incredibly optimistic about progress we'd made on church-state separation and mm -hmm. on uh, eliminating religious privilege. Um, and all of that started fading about seven years ago. And yeah. mm -hmm. it, it's like, I, I can't bring myself to sit here. I, I love, I, you know, I'm doing a debate tomorrow night on Christianity. I'm happy to engage um, with uh, theists and we'll continue to debate theists. I'm debating Christians and Muslims and everybody else. But I think one of the reasons why the secular community not not just you know the pandemic has taken its toll on conventions and stuff like that there's a general weariness in the united states and uh, across the board and religious freedom while it, we, we have to do a better job of explaining how this is important and how religious privilege has to be countered because it's at the foundation for years we've been saying the, what, what you're witnessing what you're witnessing here this is the death throes of the religious dragon. And I think that's correct, but man, does it get violent 
right before it dies. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. I, I think that is what we're seeing. And that doesn't make it any less harmful. It They are doing their best. And I hate to use the, you know, general they, but I mean, the people that are promoting these very fundamentalist beliefs that are directed towards harming or erasing or excluding from public life people with different beliefs or identities uh, or choices in their life um, than, uh, than what they are accustomed to. I'm, I'm sorry, this is not democratic. This and and it is harmful. And uh, yeah, I, I keep trying to console myself with the idea that, well, you know, yes, this is the death throes of people that just cannot come to terms with the fact that we live in a changing world and culture is dynamic. It changes all the time. People are moving on from this belief system in many ways, but it is so harmful. They are hurting so many people. What what do we do about that, Matt? Uh, how do we incorporate that knowledge into our work as activists or just as people who live in the world? How do we deal with this now while it's happening? I, I get the impression that you just asked me how to fix the fucked up world. Yes. Uh, yes, Matt, We saved us. all the big <laughs> questions for you. I'm so glad you asked that question because I've had the answer for years and have just been waiting for somebody to ask so that I could toss it out there. <laughs> Uh, that's why you came here, Matt. (laughs) I don't know. It's driving me mad. I I wish, I wish I knew. Um, it, 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 I wish I had a great answer. Uh, all I can do right now is continue to push for what I've pushed for, for years which is to to keep trying to educate people to fight misinformation, to teach critical thinking and skepticism, but to expose not just that religious privilege exists and is real, but it's actual, um, the actual harm that it does and the impact that it has on people. I, I, I wish, I, I live. We. I live in a world as if you guys live in a different world. We Which one are world, you living in? <laughs> not the one I wanted, but yeah. Uh, I tell you, Saul Stern's fault did a bunch of particle acceleration and pushed us into the shitty universe. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> we live in a world now where people believe the Earth is flat for the first time in I don't know how long. I don't understand. I. I don't. We have more access to more and better information than ever in the history of the world. Um, that's, that's just a simple fact. And you have quicker and easier access to all of it. And uh, despite that, it's like the world operates as if we have less access to, to that information. Uh, yes. I, yes really wish I knew what to do to fix it. The only thing I can do is to keep trying because even if what I've opted to do turns out to be not nearly as effective as I'd hoped, I got to think it's better than doing nothing. And Mm -hmm. uh, don't get me wrong. I want to take a day off every now, like, you know, I got, I got this tonight. I got a debate tomorrow. I've got my show on Wednesday. Arden's got her show on Thursday. 
Friday, I'm taking the day off to do stuff around the house. And Saturday, I'm going to a reptile convention. And that's, the, that's those two days are how I'm going to recharge before I get mm. back on the Sunday show to argue with theists again. I love that you made time for the reptile convention. I think that is awesome. But I mean, yeah, I, I have to say, I think you're doing a lot of good work on this. I, I think it is definitely the case that yes, that is better than doing nothing. You, you are doing a lot. And I think you hit on something really important when you mentioned earlier about being self-taught uh, in so many different areas. And as, as someone who is just embarrassingly overeducated myself, I think that this is something that we really lose sight of sometimes is uh, the fact that people are encountering information all day, every day, and we have to have a way to referee that information and evaluate those claims just in our daily life. It, it doesn't matter if you have a degree in, you know, astrophysics or whatever, you're going to be encountering information all day, every day about a whole bunch of other topics that you're not an expert in. What is, what, huh. do you have any advice for people about just doing that, sorting through information that they're being bombarded with all day long. How do we deal with this? Yeah, first of all, take a breath because the the weird thing here as somebody who's debated conspiracy theorists, theists, uh, a parade of irrational people on a number of different topics, for some reason, despite the fact that I'm self-taught, in order for me to be taken seriously, I have to somehow become an expert or at least incredibly knowledgeable on the Bible, the Quran, logic, epistemology, astrophysics, evolution, abiogenesis, uh, chemistry, radioactive dating, uh, just, just in order to push back about the, against the people who are convinced that they do understand these subjects better than the experts. And that's a lot. Uh, I have I have snakes coming, by the way. Um, yes, like, for me, bring them on. <laughs> like for me, that type of attitude is very disgusting to me. To the it's like the height of arrogance. Like I know better than you. I know better than the expert, and it's just very frustrating. I oh I, yeah oh I love this. this Who is, is this? This is Mayfield. He's a ball python. And I love ball python. Has two different morphs: um, lavender albino and piebald, oh. and Together, they make something called a dream sickle. Now, he looks a little yellow on here, mm -hmm. but he's a little more orange. And then we've been pairing him. Oh, sorry. This is Demi, and mm -hmm. she is a piebald. Piebald's where you, you get the white uh, taking over areas. And mm -hmm. she's piebald, but she's also orange dream and hat for lavender albino. So she will breed with Mayfield to make more snakes that look like Mayfield, only Aww. oranger. That's good. Thanks. That's so cool. I love, I love this. snakes. Thank you for showing us your snakes. I love this. And we're getting a lot of questions in the chat about the snakes. Um, oh, so yeah. we'll, we'll I will try to, to make those answers much, much shorter. So um, yeah. uh, without doing anybody's name, what's a morph? A morph is a phenotypically a phenotypical presentation of a gene. Uh, just like blue eyes is a morph. Blue eyes being a recessive trait, you'd have to get the gene from from both parental sides. Um, so there are recessive traits like piebald and lavender albino, and then there are uh, incomplete dominant traits like orange dream and others. Um, I'm going to do, you, you can search for epic loot exotics because I'm going to be going through the genetics and all that stuff on our snake page as well. For the person who asked if the, you can see the eggs, um, 
you can't see them here, but I've already posted pictures and we'll be posting some others. Uh, I'm just not going to go down and pull eggs out of the incubator just so <laughs> people can see what they look like. Yeah. I'd like them to turn into snakes. <laughs> That's fair. That's yeah, fair. We that, support yeah. that. <laughs> hey, I need them. I need them to turn into snakes because we have so many that selling off the babies at uh, reptile conventions and things like that are important. Fair oh, enough. Gail's showing the picture. I think. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I love it. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, outstanding. Okay. Well, and you know, on that note, it's probably a good time to start thinking about transitioning to our Q and A uh, portion of the show. But um, before we do that, Matt, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about where people can find you currently and what you're up to now? Share any links or uh, plugs for anything? Um, I don't know. If you Google my name, you'll probably find me. The big thing is, is that I do. Uh, a number of shows on YouTube, uh, on the Line Network. I'm no longer with any of the Atheist Community of Austin shows, but I am doing multiple shows a week. I do the Sunday show on Sundays. I do the Hang Up on Wednesdays, which tends to dip a little more into political stuff and LGBTQ stuff and, and science education than than merely about religion. Um, the, the Line, uh, I don't have a link, but if you... I've got it. Yeah, somebody can get it in chat. The, the line is uh, run by uh, Jimmy Snow. And so on Monday, you'll get shows like Skeptalk, where we try to get actual experts like scientists and, and biology teachers like Forrest uh, Valkai to, to interact with people. Tuesdays is uh, Dave Warnock does Dying Out Loud, um, talking about his process of living before he dies. And on Wednesdays, I do the, my show, The Hang Up, which turns out to be, it, it, was a, it was a great pun because I'm known for hanging up on people, but the show is about whatever my hang up is for the week. And it could be, I've done one where my hang up was snakes, where Arn and I came on and talked about our gazillion uh, reptiles. And I've done a number of them about uh, political things and voting and, and bills that got passed. Uh, Thursdays is the Transatlantic Call-In Show, and that's where people especially transphobic and or confused people can call in and speak to a real live trans person, including people like Dr. Ben, Katie Montgomery, Arden Hart, um, and get their questions answered. And they get to be uh, as just about as bigoted and bizarre as they want to, because that's an opportunity to educate. When so when people come in and they're like, you know, asking the most ridiculous questions, uh, I love that it prompts actual good conversation. And that show should be, it should be the most, I'm not just saying this because I'm basically married to one of the hosts, but I, it should be the most popular show on the network because not only is it important, uh, but it's fun. But anything about sex or anything that's too controversial YouTube will end up kind of doing shadow bands on. And so <laughs> go give Takas a watch on Thursday. Hey, Cara, yeah. do you want to plug when you're going to be on the Transatlantic show? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that might be this Thursday. So Are you uh, really? yes, yes, I am non-binary. So uh, I will be on there to discuss that, which is part of it's some people consider that to be sort of under the umbrella of transgender. Sure. It is a little bit of a it's a a particular experience so we'll we'll probably talk about that yeah, but. you're eligible to be on the show and i'm not hey and, and that, that is a very 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 good thing because <laughs> they you know i'll argue argue trans rights all day long with whoever 
but I'm not what we need on the transatlantic calling show at all. I, I'm, not, I'm probably not needed anywhere other than whatever show I happen to be on. And some people would debate that. Well, I mean, you're always needed where you are and, and that is where you are, but uh, no. And, you know, but to, to your point, I, I think that that is really important to have those spaces to platform people's voices who are speaking about their own experiences. Obviously that's who needs to be speaking about those experiences, but it is also tremendously important to have someone like you who is well-known, who has a loud voice, both, you know, physically and metaphorically <laughs> speaking, being able to say, Hey, listen to these folks over here. They're talking about something important. That is a great benefit to people in the community to have allies out there saying, Hey, yeah, actually shut up and listen. And thank you for doing that. Yes. Thanks for saying that. it's, it's another thing where I, I don't really take a lot of credit for stuff. I do. I don't go me wrong for years. I was just like, Oh, I'm just some guy that talks on the show. I know when I'm good at what I do. I, I've been mm. doing stuff for 20 years and I know what kind of impact mm. it has. But like I said, when you asked, you know, how can you keep doing this? How can I not? Um, the world's fucked up. Somebody's wrong on the internet. I have something to say about it. People are willing to listen a little bit, or at least they hate me enough to where they're trying to prove me wrong and they keep failing. Um, so I got to do it, but yeah. I love it. Well, it is. it has been great and we are so glad to have you here. And I think on that note, now might be a good time to get into some of our audience questions. What do you say? All right, well, do my best to give answers, including, I don't know. That is a perfectly acceptable answer. We appreciate that here. Okay, so uh, Helen and I will trade off. I guess I'll uh, take the first one. Uh, someone is wondering, in all of your years of experience, what is the best and what is the worst way to interact with people who hold polarizing beliefs? I don't know. And um, I've seen a variety of different tactics be successful. I genuinely love uh, the people who can remain calm and clever. Uh, I saw a meme just the other day where someone was standing in line with their child and their child was a toddler and it was acting up. And the gentleman behind them said something like, um, uh, you know, if I'd done that when I was a kid, I would have got my ass beat. And she just turned around and looked at him and said, are, are you okay? Uh, I can't do that. I would turn around and say, maybe that's why you turned out to be a prick. Uh, but I think the world needs both and different ones are going to work in different situations. Um, and also that th those aren't the only options. There's the, you know, since you were beaten as a child, we've learned quite a bit about the actual impact of that. And while you may think that you turned out okay, it may be the case if you're advocating for violence against children, you didn't turn out okay. Mm -hmm. And perhaps you should seek some help or at a minimum, keep your mouth shut when you're talking in front of my kid. But I don't know, I can't help not throwing the jab in. It's just who I am, but I'm not gonna pretend to know the best way. Um, that's one of the things when we went through the debate workshop this weekend, I was like, I'm not even gonna come close to saying I'm right. I do what I do in part because that's just the way I have to do it. And there are other people who may do it much better or have better results. Um, and I may have screwed things up, but 
I know, I figured out really quickly, I am, in just no matter what anybody believes, I am probably my harshest critic. When I leave a debate or a show or I'm replaying it in my head going, oh, why did I say that? Why couldn't I have done it this way? Should have done it this way. And I think if you do that, it's how you keep making progress. I think that I'm different and better at some of the things than I was when I started 18 years ago. And how sad would it be if that wasn't the case? Um, but yeah, I, that's one yeah. of the best things about, uh, like we like to say on here, get excited about being wrong because that means you just learned something. Why would you want to go your whole life never learning a single new thing? Oh, I was I was right about everything to begin with. I have not grown in 20 years. Come on. Yeah, that'd be a miracle right there. Hey, we yeah. found somebody who's right about everything from the beginning. Uh, clearly miraculous, must be a god. <laughs> yeah, I think I have some family members in that category, but you know, I certainly have family members who think they're in that category. I, I do too. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's good to hear. We're all human, like Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I was human. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I'll let the cat out of the bag on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Helen, what else do we have for Matt? So I think you kind of answered this when you were describing your um, your journey out of religion, but if you wanted to expand on it just a little bit, what led you to considering yourself agnostic when trying to convince your old roommate? Um, I, I just kind of reached a point where I knew I didn't believe what I used to believe. And I didn't really know how else to, to label it. It was very much a, you know, Ooh, am I an atheist? Well, I think atheist is someone who, you know, claims to know that there's no God and I can't go that far. And it, it was just, it became very clear to me that I didn't have any good reason to be a theist or an atheist of any stripe. Uh, or, or sorry, I didn't, I didn't have justification to call myself that. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's the same as many other people. It's like, you, you need some time to kind of work yourself into it. it. It's like, you know, it's, it's a big change uh, to go from being in church five, six days a week to be in, I think this is bullshit, but I'm not quite ready to use that, that harsher language mm -hmm. for it. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Okay. I like that. Now this next one is a little bit of a personal question. So feel free to answer if you want to, I know you've talked a little bit oh, about this before. So it, <laughs> given the personal questions that I answered this weekend, where I had somebody ask me how sex works. Um, <laughs> that's fair. I think, I'm, we're, I'm I gonna, think we're good to go. It'll be just, real. We probably would have moderated a question like that out of our list. But... Uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'll tell you all kinds of. Daryl's not the only one here who can talk about sex. That's true. You know, that if you true. have opinions on duck penises, we do need to know about those. <laughs> I think they should stop being described as corkscrews because they're not going to open a wine bottle. Fair point, fair point. You know, maybe that is the, the key to uh, better competition among the ducks. I don't know. Opening wine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, sometimes it helps set the mood. Okay, moving on to the other personal question. Um, how do you deal with the fact, and it's a two-part question, how do you deal with the fact that your parents may think that you're leading people to hell? 
Do they give you a hard time and about about not believing? And if so, how do you deal with that? No, they no longer give me a hard time. Um, we've had a number of conversations over the years, including like a six hour argument with my mom right around the time that Trump was elected, uh, covering everything from politics to religion. Um, they know and have flatly said they are closed minded. They are not equipped to have those discussions with me. I know and understand all of these topics better than them. And if they want to maintain any sort of relationship with me, they'll knock it off because as much as I, you know, I, my brother's my favorite person, just period on the planet. And, you know, while we don't agree on everything, there's nothing that's going to come between me and my brother. Um, my parents though, I love them. That doesn't mean I always like them or what their beliefs are. Um, and they definitely don't, like me or what my beliefs are most of the time. But as uncomfortable as it may be, I, people are either, people in my life are either going to appreciate me for who I am or I don't need them around. They're either going to respect the people, my, my partner, or I don't need them around. They're going to respect my boundaries or I don't need them around. It doesn't matter to me if I am blood related to somebody, that seems to me to be just as preposterous a foundation for a relationship as any other you can come up with. And so at the end of the day, I will, uh, I'm respectful when I'm in their house. I don't go over to their house to say, uh, you know, you guys need to stop believing in Jesus. I, I keep telling you, I keep telling you, stop believing in Jesus. And they'll break the rules on occasion. My mom has found new ways of, of doing it where she'd be like, well, you know, your father and I believe that this is all what God had planned. And then she's not making a claim and doesn't have to defend anything. She's just saying, this is what your father and I believe. And I've taken to saying things like, well, you know, I believe that's bullshit. Um, because when I was the only atheist in the, in the, well, when I was the only known atheist in the family, turns out there's quite a few others in our family. They'll tell me, they won't tell anybody else. But if you're there at Christmas or whatever, and all the religious talk starts up, I would keep my mouth shut. And the day I stopped keeping my mouth shut is the day those conversations stopped having in front of me. Excellent. Okay, and I kind of have a follow-up question on that too then. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, if we grew up in some of the more fundamentalist uh backgrounds there's this tendency to to sometimes internalize this belief that you know you're broken you're not worthy you shouldn't be thinking about yourself you need to be putting others ahead of yourself don't be selfish if you're thinking of something that feels good you know that's wrong blah blah, blah. and i think for a lot of people it takes a while during their deconstruction process or at least it was the case for me to start also believing yeah, actually, it's okay for me to advocate for myself and to demand that other people treat me with respect. Uh, was that a process that you went through? And do you have any tips for kind of developing the ability to basically speak up for yourself after years of indoctrination saying you're not worth being spoken up for? Yeah, selfishness gets a bad rap. Um, first of all, self-care is usually what we're talking about, not selfishness in some kind of uh, nefarious way, but you can be entirely selfish and justify altruism from that. 
I want to live in a world that benefits me. I'm selfish enough that I want to live in a world that benefits me. And the world where I choose to give and help out people encourages other people to do that too. And it increases the likelihood that I will be a recipient of those benefits. So for purely selfish reasons, I can justify what appears to be altruistic notions. What I find really selfish is to say, no, you don't get those rights and I'm going to legislate those rights away, not because of anything to do with you or your beliefs, but because I don't want to irritate my God. What could be more selfish than thinking that you are the special creation of the creator of the universe and that he wants you to make sure the two people next door aren't happy? That's a fair point. <laughs> That seems very exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It does seem emotionally exhausting it would, to yeah. be that worried about what every single other person in the world is doing. I, I will say that it, it extends out beyond, beyond the religious stuff. So today was, was rat cleaning day. And uh, what that is, is that we're raising rats and mice, uh, both as pets for people. So, if, you know, if you need a pet, you can contact me, but also as feeders for the, for the snakes. But trash day is Tuesday. And Monday, um, you have to clean the rat cages every week. If you go two weeks, you will not be able to go near those rat cages. The ammonia, mm. just smell and all that's just terrible. But if we clean them every single week, I'm very sensitive to smells. Um, we have to use a special cat litter. Otherwise, I, I can't have a cat in the house. Um, but if we clean them every week, I don't have any problems. And yet, so I'm out there in the driveway in the 100-degree heat on Mondays with a pressure washer, pulling out tubs, dumping stuff in trash cans, spraying it down, everything else. And uh, Arden and I were having a conversation and one of us said something like, what if one of the neighbors comes over and asks what you're doing? And I was like, I think I'll probably tell them I'm minding my own business. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I like that answer. I'm a fan. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Helen, what else do we have? You want to what ask another one? What do I one? have? Um, let's see. How do you, okay, so this is a little bit more serious. Um, how do you grapple with the reality of death? Were you afraid mm. of dying when you were religious? And are you afraid of dying now? This is great because in the past few years, I've spent way more time thinking about this than, than previously, not just because I'm friends with Dave Warnock, but uh, some of you may be aware that uh, Christmas of 2021, I had triple bypass. I had uh, lost a bunch of weight and went in to see my doctor and they tried to get me to do a stress test and it failed. And uh, I had bibasilar crackles, which since probably nobody here, well, very few people might, it, it sounded like there was a bowl of rice krispies in my lung every time I took a breath. That's, that's what's going on in there. And I went in for uh, an angiogram and they were going to possibly put in a stent and they were inside my heart for about five minutes and immediately stopped and wheeled me out of the, the room and walked in a couple minutes later. And I said, so how'd it go? And they said, you're going to have a triple bypass next week. Uh, and if we could do it today, we probably would, but we need to get you, you know, set up for next week. And there were a lot of people who were like, oh my gosh, you know, that's, that's big. Yeah. Were you afraid? Were you afraid of death? 
Um, and no, I might be weird, but when, in, when I was around 40, I had idiopathic anaphylaxis, which is an unknown caused serious allergic reaction. And it wasn't, it's just your brain basically says, send out the histamine and floods the system no matter what's going on. It's not mm -hmm. triggered. It's like the most severe food allergy, but without the food. And so it can happen when I'm just laying in bed. Uh, it can happen in the middle of the night from a dream or whatever. And so I carried an EpiPen. But my wife at the time, we, we had to go to the hospital uh, because I was having an episode and my tongue swole up and she was freaking out. And I was like, no, 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 you, you can, you can stop. We're at the hospital. This is where you come for things to get better. And so when I went in for my heart surgery, um, you know, Arden was, was of course upset. My brother was upset and they were there to support me through the whole thing. I never had a moment like that. It, it's, it's, I'm more practical in that there's something wrong with my heart. These people know how to fix it. They're going to knock me out. They're going to harvest, um, um, a vein or an artery from my leg. They're going to crack my chest open. By the way, I got a picture of it. Um, maybe I'll. Ooh, do you, we'll have to do put a warning. I'll, yeah. I'll, have, I'll have Arden grab it. Uh, give me okay. one second. Yeah. So trigger warning, if you don't yes. want to see a medical photo, yeah. uh, look away now. We will tell you verbally. Well, don't uh, look away now. It's going to take her a couple okay. minutes to get up here. Right? Oh, we'll tell you ahead of time. Yeah, good call. But, okay. But yeah, it was my, my thought process was I've done everything that I can do. I, there's nothing else I can do. They're going to put me out. They're going to do this surgery. And then I'm either going to die, in which case it's not going to, nothing's going to bother me anymore, or I'm going to recover and I'll deal with whatever difficulties there are, you know, after that. And mm -hmm. that was my take on it. And my, my recovery was quick. I was only on pain. I was on the hospital for like two and a half, three days and was only on pain meds for a day or two after that. Uh, I spent the next few months kind of living in uh, in my recliner because I didn't have, you know, the, the ability to, to get all the way upstairs. Thank you so much. Um, but when we went in for the surgery, I was excited. And I was like, hey, when you're in there uh, working on my heart, can, you, can I get a picture of that? And it's like nobody had ever thought of this before. There were nurses are like, I've been doing these things for 10 or 20 years here. And no, nobody's ever asked before. And um, of course they film the thing and they're not mm -hmm. going to give me the, the footage for that, but there's, there's kind of like a cover your ass aspect there, but they did um, get me a picture of my heart. Cool. Now to be mm -hmm. fair, I can't prove this is my heart. Mm -hmm. um, it has my name on it. And, and I would imagine that Dr. Conda, who was my, my surgeon, uh, could pull up the footage and show that it was my heart. Um, but uh, so, yes, I, I will be happy to show the picture of my heart. Anybody who does not want to see, this is literally the heart beating in my chest while my chest is cracked open. So look away now if we're ready. All right, here Good we to go. go. That is my chest being held open. Well, that, that would be right side up, I guess being held open uh, and, and spread open. Oh, wait, there may be personal information on there as well. Nah, we'll, we'll edit that out if yeah. that happens. But yeah, that's, that's my fatty uh, uh, <laughs> heart that was desperately needed repair and the, the, uh, the veins that they harvested and put in there. Mm. I've had, well, it, I have it on my refrigerator. 
Um, I'm, oh, I'm not wow. squeamish about that stuff. And I'm, I'm not, I, I want to do what I can while I'm alive. I'm not afraid of death. Mm -hmm. I am though, like most people, afraid of the way I might die. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't want there to be, like most people, I don't want there to be a lot of suffering. Uh, that's why this heart thing didn't bother me. I was like, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm either going to wake up or I'm not, you know, right. Yeah. The, the way I'm most terrified and, and it's even though. Oh, yeah. Also the picture is gone now. So people who yes. looked away, you can come back. Sorry. Yeah. Anybody who looked away, you can, you can look back and you'll just see terrifying me. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the thing I know that I'm most afraid of dying is having a long drawn out process where I am uh, where my mental capacities are, are such that I'm no longer me. And I know it won't bother me. Um, I just know how it will impact the people in my life. And while, you know, Arden would be sad if I died, no matter how I died, having her and others live with this sack mm -hmm. of meat, but in a completely different personality, psyche, mm -hmm. memories, desires, all that stuff. Um, and it, it, it's, yeah, it's imagine if you just had your mind wiped. I mean, it wouldn't mm -hmm. be you anymore. And that's a terrifying prospect, but it's still not about me because I won't know. Yeah. And, and that information about, you know, what you're most concerned about is the impact on other people, as well as the photo that we just saw of your heart lets us know that you are not the Grinch. You are a, a real human. I have a heart. A real heart. It, functions. it functions way better than it did a couple of years ago. That is great. Wow. Thanks for sharing that with us. That, that is, I still yeah, have my little, my little breathing tube thing that they gave me afterwards where you, yeah have to inhale and you have to keep this little button floating well the green screen's going to screw it up but you got to keep this little button floating that was the hardest part of my recovery therapy was sitting there all day every day just sucking on that tube to try to to keep that that little thing rising yeah the physical therapy afterwards is so important it's do your do your recovery plan yes so yeah. call it the incentive spirometer thank you because i don't remember what it's called and yet <laughs> I'm probably the only person in here right now who not only knows that this is a Galton board, but has a Galton board sitting next to his desk. And what's weird is it, it demonstrates um, probabilistic spread. So you can see the curve. I'm, it's not level. So even though there's a bunch of little balls in there that can mm. go into any one of those slots, you will get a normative distribution out of this. And you can do it over and over again. I was going to use it for a measure. I do it one more time and I'm trying to hold it level. But Forrest and I were doing uh, a show and he just mentioned a Galton board kind of out of the blue because he, he was using it for an example. And I was like, you mean like this? Like, yes. <laughs> That's Huge awesome. I, you know, I've got the Voynich manuscript next to me. I've got my little, my hovel of weirdness right here. <laughs> I love it. That is so cool. And that brings me to another question that maybe we can save for the hangout. If you're able to stick around for a few more minutes, there were some people who were wondering if you could do a magic trick for us. I don't Ooh. know if that's something you could do uh, offhand or if you need to prepare for that. Well, I don't, I don't need to prepare to do a magic trick. I mean, I can, I, let me move my microphone out of the way. I can, 
<laughs> but to to do a better magic trick, I just need a minute or two. But yeah. Okay. All right. Well, stick around for the hangout, and uh, we're going to bring four thousand dollars. Yes, also that. Well, we d- we don't have that. Hey, speaking of which, uh, we're doing a fundraiser pretty soon. Maybe go. we should uh, talk about that for a second and then wrap up and go to the Hangout. Um, Kara, Kara's pretty good. You should keep them around to do these uh, fundraiser segues. Hey, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's actually talk about that. Helen, do you want to mention about the fundraiser? What's going on? What are we doing? Yes. So um, as man knows, that's why he's here. Um, not only because he thinks we're awesome, but he's also here to help promote the fundraiser. So Matt, I could do that. But since you're here, why don't you talk about what you're going to be doing at the fundraiser and when it is and all that jazzy stuff. <laughs> I, I would do that, uh, but if I don't knew. know. Okay, it's June two. Okay, so it is this. I'll put the Saturday. link in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're gonna we're gonna rip the mask off right here. I do a lot of stuff, and um, I got with uh, Jimmy Snow, and we got together with uh, Gail and Daryl, and uh, I'm I, anytime somebody says, "Hey, we want to do a fundraiser for RFR. Can you help?" I'm like, "Yeah, just tell me what to do," uh, but I don't. I don't even know what all's going on. I just know that I'm here to help promote it. And you should Matt is doing his part by showing <laughs> up and lending part. us his voice. <laughs> so yeah, we are super pumped about this. It's on uh, June 24th, yes? Yes. yes. June and 24th. I just put the link in the chat. Yes, you can donate now um, because we like money. So do that. Um, you don't have to wait for the day of the fundraiser, but it will be this coming Saturday, June 24th on the line starts at 3 p.m. Central. And um, Jimmy's going to have a bunch of guests and um, stuff going on. I hear there's a painting going to be auctioned off by our wonderful um, troll stomper, Glinda. Senior, senior troll senior stomper. Senior troll stomper. <laughs> so um, I also want to thank everybody that um, has been working on this and um, especially if thanks to Jimmy and everybody at the line and I thank you like you know I know Arden was here a couple of weeks ago did a great talk you know and everybody in the community has just been really wonderful and supportive to us so you know my deepest thanks on part of recovering from religion so I guess you're you might show up on Saturday Matt <laughs> I, I think um oh yeah okay so here, here's what I do know um okay <laughs> Saturday I'm going to a reptile convention in San Antonio but I got a VIP pass and we're going to drive down Friday night so that we can be there when it opens Monday and then drive back around noon so that I can be here at four to participate because uh, when Gail or Daryl asked me to do something, then I just have to say yes, because they're amongst my favorite people. Uh, and I would feel like I failed or let a friend down if I didn't find a way to do it. So I do it. And thank you for thank doing you that. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, thank you so, so much. Yeah, that means a lot for us and helps us yeah, keep the doors open. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, we might have. People have you already have. started donating. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. I think there's I think there's something about a matching fund. There's a $25,000 yes. goal. Um, yes, And it's not just going to be, you know, it's be great. Jimmy Snow, me, Arden Hart, Katie Montgomery, Forrest Valkai, Dr. Ben, Arn Ra, Shanna Q, John Gleason, Dave Warnock, and more. I know I said I don't know what's going on, but sometimes I know a couple of things. Matt knows a little bit. We got to give him credit for that. You did a great supporting world, Matt. (laughs) Yes. And thank you for coming on with us this evening. 
Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, Healing, and Support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There, you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering From Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering From Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.